Here at Just Baseball, we have teamed up with BetMGM for the 2023 MLB season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use code JustBaseball, and you will get up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Step number one, download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code JustBaseball. Step number two, deposit at least $10 and place your first wager on any game. Step number three, you will receive up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your bet loses. Just make sure you use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL when you sign up. Disclaimer, 21 plus to wager. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. U.S. promotional offers not available in Washington, D.C., Mississippi, Nevada, New York, and Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in Colorado, Washington, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Maryland, Mississippi, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. Call 1-800-522-4700 in Kansas and Nevada. Call 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. Call 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. Call 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL and get your $1,000 first bet offer today. got all three of us for thursday april 6th jack peter arm just baseball show i asked you guys what your agenda is because i you know set out my agenda i said here's what's on my docket and you guys responded with your dockets so how we're gonna go about it today is i'm gonna run through my docket then peter's gonna run through his then arm's gonna run through his and we're gonna talk about what's effing happening around major league baseball does that sound good the docket episode. This but, is the docket episode. Can we first talk about how awesome baseball is uh, with the new rules? I just love baseball right now. Like, <laughs> it's so much faster. It's cutting down time. There's more hits. There's so many more stolen bases. I couldn't be a bigger proponent of the new rules. Absolutely. It's been a week so far, and I couldn't be loving it more. Every rule I love. Bigger bases, don't care. I love them. This is this is the baseball that, you know, used to dominate the sports landscape, you know, in the 50s, 60s, 70s, even the 80s. Like when when baseball was was at its peak, it was stolen bases. It was balls in play. It was pace of play that didn't have to be enforced, but just naturally kind of happened. I do think that this is the best form of baseball, like aside from the automatic ring up that happens maybe once a game. And most of the time, it's not the third strike. But and it's again, also kind of funny. It's kind of it funny is when it happens. Especially when it happens to Avi Garcia like, twice. Yeah, yes. Then it's funny. Yes. Yeah. And also, like, it, it will dwindle. It, it, Jack can speak to that. It will continue to dwindle. And, and and we're averaging, like, one a game right now. It's really not that big of a deal. Uh, and it's kind of just, like, adapt or die. It's really not that hard. Uh, but the one thing that I love about it is, like, I was watching that Sandy Alcantara start, which I'm not going to steal any thunder from Jack. I know that's on his docket. But my point on that was Sandy was fun to watch. The Marlins offense was not. That game in general was kind of miserable. 
the beautiful thing about it was I got to watch the whole game because I want to watch Sandy pitch, but I don't have to be subjected to three hours of just no offense and misery. Game was done in under two hours. I got to watch all of Sandy start and it was, it was good. Like Marlins games, I think may pace major league baseball with the lowest average time between their pitching and their hitting. Um, So I'm here for that. I want those games to be shorter. Yeah, I mean, we can start with the Sandy thing because he threw a complete game shutout in an hour and 57 minutes. Like, welcome to the new frontier of baseball. And it was headline news. It would happen once every couple of years before this because you had a guy that wanted to work quickly and a game ended one nothing. Um, I, I thought that the A's broadcast yesterday, Glenn Kuyper and Dallas Braden, they were talking about this during A's Guardians, and they made a great point. They said, if this happens game six, promise you it's going to happen again. Like we are going to get a good amount of games under two hours this year. And here's what Major League Baseball needed. They needed something that was as watchable and like it's not going to be as watchable as the NBA in terms of product. It's apples to oranges there. But they needed something in terms of a TV event that is as watchable as an NBA basketball game or an NFL football game. And what they couldn't do there is limit the time constraints. So like an NFL football game, there are more completed passes than college. You know, there are more, um, I guess there's more running clock situations. There's more running the ball. NFL games, easy to watch. College football games, terrible to watch because the clock is stopping all the time. College basketball, last two minutes of a college basketball game, the worst thing ever. The NBA, it's free flowing. So how do you get a free flowing version of baseball? by speeding it the fuck up and they did it and they did it really well. I have a question for the both of you. And I've been kind of going back and forth on this. Like one day I wake up and I say, yeah, they should stop the pitch clock in the ninth inning. Right. And then the next day I wake up and I'm like, you know what? I don't want it to stop at the ninth inning. So I'm not really sold. I'm curious if you guys have a strong opinion either way, because that's been something that Rob Manfred has talked about that they are considering because a lot of players have brought it up, like shut off the pitch clock when it comes to the ninth inning and extra innings and all that. I truthfully don't have an opinion yet. Obviously, maybe I will as we watch more games, but I'm curious if you guys, obviously Jack calling games in the minor leagues, you've seen it. Aram, you cover the minor leagues like nobody I've ever seen. So you guys are both, you know, used to this while a lot of baseball fans just watching MLB are first seeing this, right? First week for me. So I'm curious if you guys have a strong opinion either way on the ninth inning stopping the pitch clock. Yeah, I mean, I guess my immediate follow-up question there would be, what do you feel like you are losing in the ninth inning with the pitch clock? The the dramatic effects, right? The suspense. Yeah, and I'm telling you now, 14 to 15 seconds is plenty of time to build up the the dramatics yeah. and the yeah. you know what you know what kind of sucks and I don't know if anyone's ever talked about this but like there's no bigger pet peeve of mine is like the, the moments building up you get the whole crowd on their feet it's two strikes this could be the last out of the game everyone's cheering and then he steps off Yep, and it's just like, oh shit, that 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 applause just built for nothing. Like yep. that happens so often, or someone calls time or whatever. So I, I think it could work both ways, but. I think it's an interesting topic, but at the same time, I think that you should play the game kind of the same way all the way through Mm -hmm. Um, as much as I, you know, I think it would be cool to have some of those moments building up. I'd rather have it be continuous all the way through. And and I think that's what, you know, I think that's what it's probably going to stick with. 
Yeah, like I mean, why are we giving Kenley Jansen immunity? Because he was the oh, one. Oh yeah, that, this rule Kenley, for me, Kenley, you know I mean? Kenley's number one for that rule. He's probably pushing so hard. No, I think I think the number one guy, like Jonathan Loisega, used to take a literal hour, and Giovanni Gallegos used to take two hours. Okay, yeah. but like think about those guys, right? Like we're giving them all immunity. Loisega, yeah. I guess, is throwing the eighth, and like Clay Holmes has the ninth. He just got the save yesterday, but like. Yeah, man. I mean, we're talking about a guy in Gallegos that is just trying to build up for the moment. And then Kenley Jansen is trying to build up for the moment. They're showmen. Be a showman in 15 seconds, dude. Don't be a dick. Yeah. yeah. No, I, yeah, I, I don't really have an opinion. I was curious about you guys, but I think you're both kind of sold on. Don't turn it off. But I think if it were to be turned off in the ninth inning, like you guys aren't up in arms, right? I'm not I crying. That's I won't the point. cry about it. Yeah. I won't cry about it. Will you no. cry, Jack? No, I won't cry. Here's my adjustment. Turn it off for the postseason because that mm-hmm. baseball like matters a ton. Every pitch matters. Yeah. I don't need the pitch clock in the postseason. Like I don't need a big fourth inning strikeout because of an automatic strike violation. That's yeah, fair. that would be ass. <laughs> right. Is it time for the dockets? It's time for the dockets. I'll start with mine. I am adding one and I'll add it right away for the YouTube crowd. This is me pushing all my chips in on Garrett Cole. Oh mm-hmm. my God. Yeah, he does look. This is good. his year. Yeah, I was going to talk about it too. There's he's only really allowed one run, and it was like an inherited runner. His stuff looks unreal, and you know I've been in New York. Every single one of his starts too, it's been in this crap weather. It's super cold. Nobody can touch him. Now it's been a Giants offense that looks pretty anemic, and then a Phillies offense that hasn't really gotten going yet. I want to see him against the Rays. I want to see him against the Blue Jays, but. He's off to an incredible start. He looks as good as any pitcher in Major League Baseball. And he looks as good as he has since he was in Houston. Yeah. Flying in there, dude. It looks so good. <laughs> so good. Well, Do you you know, because he cut his hair arm? Well, it might be. Um, maybe he's relaxed a little bit. Um, yeah, maybe he's chilled out a little bit. I don't know. He just looks like maybe the pitch clock's working in his favor. I don't know. Um, he was obviously very finicky about time. I remember that time he pitched a fit. Who was it that was like doing the national anthem that took too long or something like that? I don't remember, but he, he threw it. He threw a bitch fit because he was like two minutes late on first pitch. Yeah. 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 So maybe he likes the pitch clock, but seriously, I look at Garrett Cole, someone who's extremely talented. Obviously there's no doubt about that and, and durable. And, and there's so many redeeming qualities about him as a pitcher. You're telling me that that guy in the Yankees organization, which you know does a really good job of of being able to balance the analytics and and just baseball in general, like you don't you're telling me that they didn't sit down with their three hundred million dollar pitcher and say, hey, you gave up a lot of home runs this year, like or last year. Let's see how we can maybe adjust it with your pitch usage, location, shape, whatever, and just kind of tweak a few little things. Like this is the kind of guy that one or two little tweaks could put him back in the Cy Young you know conversation instead of the top 10 to 15 pitcher in baseball. Oh no. Uh, so it is cool to see Colby. Great. I, I think the Yankees kind of need that, that guy, you know, setting the tone for them, especially now. Um, and he just seems like the perfect guy to be able to do it. Cause he, if he sucks, he wears it well. Like you got to give him credit for like, right. Peter, you could speak to this. Like, so, there's been so many guys that don't handle New York. Well, Cole has had some adversity. There's been times where even you have been like, Oh my God, I'm so frustrated with Cole. But he always handled it well. He never really, you know, would fire back. He never said anything stupid or, or you know, threw gasoline on the fire. And now when he's pitching well, I think he's going to reap the rewards because fans will be all over him. They'll love him. 
Yeah, I think if you're going to sign a $300 million contract with one team, it's the hardest in New York because you got to yes. impress fans who know that you're making buku bucks, a barrel yes. of money. So realistically, to make Yankee fans happy, he has to throw a no-hitter every single game. So when he was second in the American League in home runs last year, pitching to a 3-5-0 ERA, yeah. other fan bases look at that stat line and say, yeah, he wasn't great, but he's still our guy. Yankee fans, including myself sometimes, are like, you know, maybe we should trade for Herman Marquez because he'd be better than this bum, yeah. even though he's been very, very good in his Yankee tenure. And it's unfair of me to keep that image of him getting shelled by the Red Sox in that wildcard game going into every start and that will just probably sit with me because that was one of the toughest losses I've ever watched but he can't we can't debate it that in Garrett Cole's tenure with the Yankees so far he has lived up to this contract at least thus far yes and like the only way he doesn't is if he stops throwing 200 innings every year but he's throwing 200 innings every year what do you give a pitcher 300 million dollars for you give him that money to be very durable take the hill for you every fifth day and give you a chance to win huge games at the end of the season. And he has done that so far in his Yankee tenure. Credit to the Yankees, credit to Brian Cashman for finding two guys that thrive in New York and thrive as Yankees and giving them 300 plus million dollar deals in Garrett Cole and Aaron Judge. I pitched you on Cole being like a long shot MVP candidate, my Cy Young favorite last week, two starts in, my reasoning there is kind of like holding true um, because I was thinking like, all right, this rotation has proven brittle, right? They are already starting with three of their projected five shelved. He's going to level up. It really feels like he's leveling up right now. No doubt about it. I've loved what I've seen from him. Sandy bounced back beautifully. That is mm. next on my docket. And, and I mentioned sub two hour game. He walked four in his first start against the Mets. He didn't look good. Arm, you were there. All of a sudden he bounces back, gets a complete game shutout in a hundred pitches, no walks, five punch outs. That's Sandy's game. And this guy I think is inarguably, if you were to ask me on April 6th, who's the best pitcher on planet earth? It's the guy in Miami, man. I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah, he he might just be. Um, you know, it's it's wild because Craig Mish said it. Yeah, and and I I thought it was a little bit like it was just the the statements the statement sounded so hyperbolic that I was like, hmm. But Craig Mish of the Miami Herald said, and this was maybe almost a year ago, so it was before Sandy really put together the whole Cy Young campaign. It was probably like eight months ago. Said Sandy Alcantara is the franchise, and you know, at first I was like. That's a lot to say. You know, Jazz was playing well in the early going, and there was other guys on the team. And I think about it now, and I'm like, there's not one player in baseball that is accounts for more of the franchise than Sandy Alcantara and the and the Miami Marlins, right? Like, he is the most important player to a team, I think, in, in baseball. Because Sandy Alcantara without this – or the Marlins without Sandy Alcantara are a joke, right? Like, They're I nothing. mean, it, it, I couldn't even imagine. Like, he, he is not only – carrying the load for them. I mean, he is giving them a chance every fifth day. And we'll talk about Jesus Lizardo and stuff like that. But the reason why Sandy to me is a bona fide ace is that start sucked against the Mets. And he just flipped the switch and looked right back to Cy Young Sandy, the next start. And like, that's what aces do. That's what some of the best pitchers in baseball do. And, uh, you know, I I'm not expecting him to slow down anytime soon. Yeah. The only thing I'll add, cause you guys basically covered it is it wasn't against some bum ass team, right? 
the twins were rolling coming into that game. And a Joey, hot, Gallo, Joey Gallo, yeah. Exactly, on fire, hitting a home run what seems like every single day. And he shut the door. And that's yeah. what aces do. That's what the best pitchers in baseball do. And Sandy showed us why when we ranked our top 10 pitchers and we put them at number one, it's making us look pretty good right now. Yeah, 100%. All-time bag fumble in the early goings for the Boston Red Sox, letting Xander Bogarts get away. And obviously, we talked about that contract over the offseason. But new home for Xander, six games. He is nine for 22 with six extra base hits, three doubles, three homers, seven driven in. He has more extra base hits than he does strikeouts through his first 22 at-bats. This guy's hitting 409 with a 1395 OPS in six games. Xander is going to be really good for a really long time. Yeah. And you have to be screaming into your pillow and punching air if you are a Boston Red Sox fan because you knew this shit was going to happen. And here we go. It's happening. You're just yeah. rubbing it in their faces. But, like, <laughs> dude, they had every opportunity to lock him yeah. up for the last several years. And they, he called their offers disrespectful. Yes, but let me pay, play devil's advocate a little bit. Would you have given him 11 years, 285, right? No, they, it's like they gave... But they could have done it for cheaper sooner. They yes, could have done it the, for they the could have done it for $100 million cheaper a year earlier. That's a good but, point. But to Peter's point, once that ship sailed, they, it was over, right? Like there's no... Because I think they... It seemed like Heim Bloom... I'm, I'm imagining the story of like him in the airport realizing, oh my God, Xander's gone or whatever. Like it sounded like reality hit the Red Sox and they tried to push the chips forward. I bet they made a super competitive offer that probably would have got him locked up with them earlier. So it took, you know, them realizing, oh shit, he might be gone to really make that offer. That said, flipping it over on the Padres side without Tatis right now, who by the way, had a rehab assignment the other day, uh, yesterday I watched it, of course, got nothing to hit against Kyle Harrison who walked four. um, but Tatis on the men, but you're looking at this Padres team the offense is top heavy. If Xander wasn't swinging it the way he's swinging it right now, this is an offense that, you know, w- would definitely look a little concerning. So I think it's a, it's a really big pickup for them. And, and it's huge that he's swinging it the way he is out of the gate. So you, you will see the highlights for the next week or two of Fernando Tatis Jr. playing for the El Paso Chihuahuas. And that is the AAA affiliate of the San Diego Padres. And the way that that works is you can treat it as a rehab assignment to come back from the restricted list. We know Tatis is 100% healthy. He was playing all spring with the big club. He can play in AAA games. He cannot play in major league games until April 20th. I saw Pedro Severino do this with Nashville last year. It's just weird. Like, you want to talk about what he did, um, Mm -hmm. but it's just like such an interesting topic to massage. But yeah, man, I mean, with Tatis out, this is exactly what you wanted to see from Xander Bogarts. Yeah, absolutely. And I had kind of a a moment where, you know, when it originally was signed, I was like, oh, my God, that is the worst contract I have ever seen, like yes. ever seen. You I was the only one. I was blown away. 11 years, 280 for a guy who I was like, ah, is he really going to play shortstop? And then I really thought about it, took some time to digest it. And I thought to myself, he's going to hit forever. He's going to hit forever, even if he's a DH, even if the power comes down. His swing is so good, it stays in the zone for what feels like an hour. He's such a smart hitter, too. He takes the opposite field pitch, right? He takes that pitch to the opposite way. He pulls the ball in. 
He hits the ball in the middle. Like every single thing he does right. He's such a smart hitter and he's going to hit forever. And even if he does move off shortstop, whatever, let's see in six years what the money is looking like for these other guys where they're making 50, $60 million a year. And then we look back in six years and we're like, well, Xander hit 300 every year. That contract's actually probably aging pretty well when we look at future contracts. So that's kind of the conclusion I came to. And then, Thinking about it, yeah, it actually might not be that bad of a contract after all. Crazy stat thus far. It's only six games, but he's averaging 0.1 F4 each game. Dude, <laughs> you think about it that way. Am I doing the math right? That would put him on pace for 16.2 F4 if he played yes. 162 games, right? So pretty good obviously season. that's not going to happen, but like it's just showing you what he's doing out of the gate. What's interesting is he was kind of a regression candidate. Like no one really wanted to say it, but a lot of people were kind of insinuating like, oh, you take him out of one of the most hitter-friendly ballparks and you send him into one of the more pitcher-friendly ballparks. He might not be as good. He might not be as productive. Also, his expected batting average wasn't as high, blah, 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 blah. To Peter's point. He's a smart hitter, and I think a lot of the hits that he had in Fenway that had low expected batting average, he knew that he could just play pepper with that wall uh, and and miss under one that's still going to hit the wall that would have an XBA of you know one fifty or whatever yeah, he it may give be. A fuck about his XBA, but, but now he's got <laughs> a lot of room out there, and similar to like we talked about with Luis Arias, like more room for these types of hitters works bodes well maybe he doesn't hit as many home runs that's fine he'll hit 320 um and i think xander bogarts is a candidate i talked about Luis arias to win the batting title i think in this more cavernous outfield xander bogarts could be a candidate for you know the batting title as well he hit 307 last year and i think the batting average might be even better this year cavernous good word it is a good word proud of you for that that was good xander bogarts is is a massive double guy you average his career out over 162 he's 40 doubles a year and like you do a lot more of that like if you're 40 doubles a year with fenway as your home ballpark not all 40 are coming at fenway park he's just a really good doubles hitter and you're going to be a really good doubles hitter anywhere especially in a pitcher friendly ballpark like petco i've got one more player and then i've got two teams on my docket and then peter's um, Jason fucking Vossler with the Cincinnati Reds. And that's it. I have no analysis. He's sent three balls to the stratosphere so far. For my not gamblers, Jason Vossler is a legend. Come, <laughs> Red, Reds are down by two. Runners on first and second. I need a home run here. And I'm sitting there. I'm like, oh, God, Jason Vossler's up. Who is this? Like, I think I've seen him play like four times in my life watching baseball. Bang! <laughs> Rocket ship into the right field bleachers, or no? It was I think it was an opposite field home run. I don't even remember because I was shrieking from the top of my lungs. He's on fire, and it's just another guy in this Reds lineup. That's why the Reds are my favorite bad team in quotes because they're not really that bad. They have an excellent starting staff. They have a lot of hitters who I'm really excited about. Like the Reds are a really fun watch. And that's interesting is is it's not like it's similar to, to Brandon Drury. And that's the, the first question we always have here is, is this the next Brandon Drury? Because as you know, it's the best place for somebody to either have a career renaissance, to bounce back, to break out, whatever you want to call it. In or great to validate American, that they suck. <laughs> or, yes, that, and th- that's when you know to pack it in as well. Mm-hmm. If you can't hit in great American small park, you can't hit anywhere. Yeah. But th- the thing that stands out to me is similar to Brandon Drury. Like there was – a little bit of, of history of hitting well, right? Like this guy put up pretty good numbers in 36 games, small sample size, 111 plate appearances in AAA last year, hit really well with San Francisco, has had plenty of seasons in the minors where he put up good numbers. So like 
this could be real. I'm not saying he's going to be an all-star, uh, but he could be a decent bat for them, which is super fun. And that's why I love the Reds. You never know who they're going to just pull out. The funny thing is, is like Moustakis was kind of like the validating of like, oh, he probably won't hit. And then he goes to, to Coors, which is maybe the only other place that might be better. And if you can't hit there, dude, pack it in, retire. But, <laughs> you know, I'm rooting for him too because I feel bad for Moustakis. He's been very hurt. But I think Vossler might do it. Like, do you guys think that we're talking about Jaden or Jason Vossler in August? And I'm not saying talking about him as a good player, just talking about him as like a guy that is contributing for the Reds. Yeah, a good flip candidate. Like he could be a nice trade ship a la Drury. Drury. Yeah. I mean, are we going to be like, oh, yeah, Jonathan India, Tyler Stevenson, Jason Vossler? Probably not. But we talk about everybody and like he's going to be mentioned and he's going to be probably the first baseman. Right. Because when you look at the Reds, like they're probably not going to put Will Myers there. Like they're not moving Stevenson off the position. So the big question is how often is Joey Votto going to play? Because he's almost back from a rehab assignment. That's my fault. I totally forgot about Joey Votto. No, I mean, he's a Louisville bat right now. Like, I don't blame you. Um, Didn't he strike out three times? Didn't you just watch that? Yeah. Jason Vossler clears. Yeah. And well, what's crazy about Vossler is he can play all over. Like last year, he saw a little bit of action in the outfield, saw a little bit of action at shortstop, third base, second base. Like they've played him all over. He's literally, I think... A poor man's Drury, which is like not very exciting, but it's cool. Ride the wave, buddy. I think Nick Crawl pointed to Voss and was like, see what Drury did? That's you now. That's you now. Your turn. But yeah, Vossler, five hits in 15 plate appearances, all five extra base hits, double, triple, and three nukes, one of which 445 feet against Hayden Wisniewski. Holy smokes. I'm yeah. loving this docket episode so far. This is good. <laughs> this is fun. Two teams left on my docket. Two of the three best run differentials in Major League Baseball right now. One of which is the LA Dodgers. Whatever. They're the Dodgers. The other two, the Tampa Bay Rays and the Milwaukee Brewers. I want to start with Milwaukee. That offense is so stupidly fun right now. And it starts with arms guy, Brian Effing Anderson. <laughs> I thought you were going to say there was three guys that could have been my guy here. I I, I might just rebrand to a Brewers fan because I actually had no idea which guy you were going to say was my guy. I didn't know if it was going to be Turang. I didn't know if it was going to be Joey Weimer. He went with anybody. He went with with Brian Anderson. Your WRC Uh, plus leader, Brian Anderson. We're about three weeks away from where I'm going to request a written apology um, from both of you uh, about Brian Anderson. Um, because you guys laughed at me every time I said he wasn't that bad or like was pretty good. Um, but no, honestly for, for BA, I'm, I'm hoping it lasts. We'll see. Marlins fans are already freaking out about it. Like he needed to go somewhere else. It wasn't going to happen in Miami, but this team is really fun. Um, I want this to be a pro Joey Weimer podcast. Not that it would be an anti Joey Weimer podcast. There's no such thing, but I want this to be a vehemently pro Joey Weimer podcast. He hit his first nuke today. It was up at the letters. Then he laid out in center and made a catch. Um, he is just one of the most dynamic 6'4", 230 pounds, but runs fast and hits bombs. Like, you have to watch this guy. He's sick. Uh, but Brewers, are we buying it this early? Are we feeling this? Are we, are we like, are we buying what they are doing or are they just beating up on the lowly Mets? I mean, I'm kind of <laughs> buying it because, like, I hear you, and and I've seen, like, the freakouts on Barstool and all that stuff. Like, I get it. But the Mets are the Mets, and I don't They'll know, man. I mean, 
with how much this rotation struggled at the front end in Chicago, like Corbin Burns has put together two mediocre starts to open the year, but Freddie Worse Peralta looked mediocre. great. Yeah, like I mean, ass. you could say back. <laughs> yeah. But like the bull, or the, the lineup is picking up this pitching staff right now. And I feel like so much of what we talk about with the Brewers has to do with what's on the mound. So when it does finally click for the pitching staff, if the lineup is 40% of what it is right now, I think this is a really good team. One more thing about the Brewers, too. Like, we talk about Bryce Terang. You know, we shower Joey Weimer with praise. But Garrett Mitchell has a 200 WRC plus yeah. two. I mean, it's just filled with these young, exciting guys who are hitting the breaks off baseballs. That doesn't even include Willie Adames, who's off to a great start either. And it's so funny, at the same time, so shitty, that it's like, well, who's the one hitter in the Brewers lineup who's not doing anything, you know? The 2018 MVP, yeah. Christian Yelich, can't hit anything. It's so horrible to watch that. But then the eight other guys are amazing. And yeah, like, I, I couldn't tell you how nice it was just to see him like spray two singles the other day. And I'm you're like, right. Oh, goodness. Like, thank goodness. Sorry, Jack, go ahead. No, you're good. I mean, other side of the sword to the Garrett Mitchell thing is there's no space for Sal Freelick right now, which sucks for us as pro Sal Freelick people. But... It's great for the Brewers because they know that they have an excellent outfield prospect that's waiting whenever somebody stuttered. So again, I don't want to get us ahead of ourselves here, but like I'm looking at this team and even if they falter, fall off, you know, a cliff in the second half and, 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 you know, flame out, you look at this core though, this is a really good, talented, young position player core. We've talked about the pitching, but like you've got a pretty solid group here that aren't going anywhere between Turing, Weimer, Mitchell, William Contreras, uh, and then Willie Adamas if they lock him up, which I think they should. And then you've got the guys knocking on the door and Sal Freelick, and then one of the best prospects in baseball and Jackson Chorio and others on the way. Uh, m- my thing here is like, I hope they find a way to mend the relationship. We talked about it a lot, so we don't need to get too deep into Corbin Burns, but I hope they find a way to mend the relationship because I think this offensive core is only going to get better. They're eventually going to clear up the money from Yelich, be able to reinvest that. Like, I, I hope they find a way to to mend this this you know rift that they have with Corbin because you know this is a team that I think positionally offensively they're going to keep getting better uh, their guys are going to start matriculating to the big leagues and I, I really feel like this could be a team that could be competitive for a while if they keep the pitching staff together so I'm interested to see what they do and how they handle it but maybe a competitive season uh, where where the offense comes together more than people thought might you know kind of inspire them to finally spend on somebody like Corbin Burns. My last point about the Brewers, and I didn't bet this, but do you guys remember what I said was the sketchiest line of the offseason when we were doing our predictions episode? Do you guys remember it? Was it the Brewers' win total? No, it was the Cardinals to win the division minus 115. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Right? And I was just like, that is disgusting. Why is that just a, is it free? Oh, the St. Louis Cardinals are, of course, going to win the division. Might as well bet them like a regular total. Yeah, that made I, no sense to me. I'd almost feel better if it was minus 200. Right? <laughs> just be like, oh, yeah, they'll run away with it. <laughs> like the Astros were like minus 200. Yankees were, you know, huge favorites. You know, the yeah. Guardians, you know, were even, you know, there's some competition there, but they were like plus 125, right? Yeah. yeah. And then the Cardinals, who were the clear favorite, at least the preseason wise, right? Minus 115. I don't know if that bet's going to cash. That's all I'm going to yeah. say. I don't think so either. <laughs> Tampa is the last one that I want to hit on. And this rotation 
32 innings for starting pitchers in Tampa so far through six games. Eight earned runs, that's a 2-2-5 ERA. 38 punch-outs, eight walks, opponents hitting 205 against the Tampa Bay Rays. Shane McClanahan will carry a 1-5 ERA into his third start. Jeffrey Springs, we know, went six, no hit, punched out 12. Rasmussen looked like a beast. Eflin looked like a beast. And, and even when they don't get a great start, all of a sudden the offense shows up really late, granted against the Washington Nationals. And like, okay, I hear you. Tampa opens at home against Detroit, at Washington, and then I think they're home against Oakland this weekend. Yeah. Whatever, man. Like, we we talked about it for a minute at the beginning of this week. This rotation is the best in baseball, probably. There's two sides of the coin, right? Are you fully buying into this against some of the crap teams in Major League Baseball? But the other side of the coin is, we assume that this was going to happen moving into the season. Right. The starting pitching, when you have McClanahan, we love Drew Rasmussen. We love Jeffrey Springs. We were excited about Eflin coming over. And then Tyler Glass now, Shane Boz, if Taj Bradley comes up, like they have so many guys. Josh Fleming is probably their eighth guy, but he's currently being the fifth starter right now. And they even won that game because their offense is just coming in droves. Brandon Lau, Randy Rosarina, Wander Franco is has his hair on fire. Yandy Diaz, Isak Paredes. They have Josh so Lowe. many good guys. Josh Lowe. And they platoon against any lineup. So you bring in a lefty. They have a full righty lineup. You bring in a righty. They just have reverse splits guys and lefties. Like they play the numbers so well. Like as a betting guy, I love them because they play the splits and they win every day. It's against bad teams, but you see the talent. And that's why I picked them to win the American League East because from the top pitcher in Shane McClanahan to the bottom of their roster, there is like no bad players. They're all solid and they all know their role. It's almost like a... New England Patriots team in that sense where it's like Bill Belichick know your role and everyone is solid like that's what the Rays feel like to me well and and it's it's similar to you know we were talking about like that like the Giants that one year how they can kind of just mix and match and get the most out of their guys to your point and what I really like is to your point about how they really don't have a major weakness when you look at teams trying to you know win as many games as possible over 162 it seems like you have those like scheduled disadvantages. I won't call them scheduled losses, but when you have a five-man rotation, it's not always going to sync up where it's one versus one, two versus two, three right. versus three, four versus four when you're right. facing other teams' rotations. Sometimes you've got your four versus another team's one, your five versus another team's two. The thing is, is when that happens with the Rays, they're still right there with you. Unless they're you're facing the Marlins and, and it's your five versus Sandy Alcantara, like for the most part, even when the Rays have their four or five going against another team's two or three, they're going to be right there with them. And even the drop-off between their three and a one on another team, uh, on a lot of other teams, is not going to be that much of a disadvantage. So you, you pair that with the bullpen and the way that they've been able to mix and match the lineup. It feels like this Rays team is always at least at even and usually has the advantage with whoever their opponent is. So that's why I don't really care about the competition. Yeah, so... The reference, like the scheduled disadvantage that you're talking about, I, I think is like a perfect point to make because we're going to see it as early as Friday. Seattle goes to Cleveland for a three-game re- weekend set. Like that was an excellent series on opening weekend. They're back. Logan Gilbert, the two for Seattle, is going to see Aaron Savali, the four for Cleveland. Scheduled disadvantage for Cleveland. The four for Tampa is Rasmussen. 
And if you were to see Seattle and Tampa at the Trop and it's Drew Rasmussen against Logan Gilbert, that's a toss-up game. Yeah. yeah. I think the Rays win. They might win that game. See? Like, Rasmussen is so good. If you can do away with the schedule disadvantage, that's everything when you, you get, get into July and August. And you'll never, why, you'll never go through losing streaks. Which is why I think Arm loved the Twins rotation as much as he did. Yeah. Yeah. If you're not going to always have that, that every fifth day have the bona fide ace, you're never going to have a game where you're absolutely just overmatched pitching wise. And I think today was an example of that. Like Wizardo has been red hot, but Pablo matched him. And so it was the bullpen that blew it, you know, and it was really Jorge Soler going nuts. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's part of the reason why I don't, I, I don't think the twins rotation is, is, you know, getting enough respect. Yeah. Time All for right, my docket. Your, your docket. So my docket is filled with catchers. Um, and first up on the docket. So we talk about Adley Rutschman, who's amazing. We talk about JT Rulmuto, who's continually amazing. He's gotten off to a slow start, but I have no, you know, he's still one of the best defensive catchers, maybe the best in all of baseball. But one guy who seems to kind of get pushed to the side is Will Smith. And Will Smith, right now, as we're sitting here today, has a 274 WRC+. The dude is walking more than he's striking out. He has three home runs, and he's hitting 421 with 1,000 slugging. If we're talking about Xander having .6 war in six games, Will Smith has .6 war in five games. His defense is getting better. He is still in that conversation for one of the best catchers in baseball, maybe the best, because the bat is really special. And, you know, Adley, we make the jokes of, like, imagine what Juan Soto is when he's Adley's age. Like, he's a little bit older for a prospect. Like, Will Smith is 28. This isn't a guy who's, like, past his prime. Like, this is his prime, and he is delivering for the Dodgers after losing Trey Turner. Like, he is one of the best catchers in baseball. Like, he's right there with JT and Adley. I'm, I'm with you. I mean, like, it's it's one of those things where the defense kind of held me back, but it, with it getting better and then seeing what he is doing – uh, you know, offensively looking like whether he's a catcher or not, like uh, one of the better offensive forces. And and it's not just a hot start to this year, right? This guy's always swung it and he's still young. So he can continue to get better offensively. I, I think it's a good point. And um, I'm excited to see how they kind of handle, you know, the, the future with, with him, because how many more years of control does Will Smith have? Cause he's, he's, he's a guy that could easily be a, a pre-arb extension guy that we see at some time, even this year. Uh, but if I were him, I'd hold off. I'd hold off with the way he's been swinging it in the second half of last year and into this year. Will Smith has two more years of control after this. So this was his first year of arbitration. Now's the time to do it. Yeah. So For the sure. next catcher. Oh, no. you Yeah, continue. Real quick. My, my one devil's advocate with Will Smith. And, like, I think that this guy, obviously, Adley now has, has changed my mind a good bit. But going into this year, I was like, hey, Will Smith is the best offensive catcher in baseball. Now it's Adley. But I think Will Smith is too. Pointing to the, the defense thing. The defense has gotten better. You mentioned he's 28 years old. The defense has gone like this. At what age does it slope downwards again? But, like, does it matter? I guess that's my point. Like, I think right it now, does. like, in terms of overall catcher, right now it doesn't. Next year it doesn't. But, like, if you're going to hand this guy a long term deal, does he start to descend in terms of defensive prowess when he's 31 or Could 33? Be. 
because he's not like fleet of foot, right? He's not a freak athlete out there like JT is. Right. And Adley's, of course, younger, so we're not going to talk about his falling off for years. Right. But I think what the point I'm trying to say is, I think there's a strong argument to say that Will Smith is the best offensive catcher in baseball, that yeah. he is better than Adley Rutschman. Yeah. And I think we forget that because of the hype surrounding Adley and because of the consistency of JT and his all around game that we kind of forget. Cause he's a Dodger and we're like, yeah, the Dodgers are so good. Let's That's the toss thing. him to the side. It doesn't matter. But like Will Smith might be the best offensive catcher in baseball. That's the thing. He is the hidden gem of that Dodger lineup. Cause we, all we want to talk about is Mookie and Freddie. And whenever exactly. anybody thinks about the Dodgers, it's Mookie and Freddie. And last year it was like Trey Turner as well. Like, Hey, Will Smith is there too. Like, that's why they're so good. Yeah. 134 WRC plus for his career. I, I think for him to be the best offensive catcher, he's going to have to kick that like this year to like 145 because I think Adley's going to be right there, which is very possible. So I'm excited to see because um, I think we're we're on the brink, and Jack can speak to this we talk about it on the call-up. We're on the brink of, I think, a, a catcher renaissance in baseball, which is funny because it's been such a barren position. Over the last few years, like Will Smith isn't going anywhere. Adley obviously isn't going anywhere. You mentioned JT. He'll, he'll still be good for a few years. So he's kind of like the 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 old head that's ushering in the new ones. And then there's 10 impactful top 100 prospects who can catch. Uh, and that's not including like Gabriel Moreno, who technically graduated. Like there, there's a lot of fun young catchers coming into the game. Uh, and that's also not including Alejandro Kirk and some of the other guys that have already you know graduated from prospect status. Catching is going to be a deep position in baseball very soon. And if you don't have a good catcher in your system, you're at a disadvantage. And there's some teams that are in that department. Staying on the catcher's renaissance, next on my docket, I've been really impressed with Logan Ohapi of the Angels. Um, 109 WRC+, plus. he's not walking at all, like a 267 on base percentage, um, which is lower than his batting he'll average. Walk. I'm not even sure how that's humanly possible. I mean, I promise, sure I promise he'll walk. That. Yeah, he will walk. That's why I'm so excited for him, right? Showing the power, a lot of athleticism, looks great behind the plate, and he's producing without recording a walk yet. That's why, yeah, he's not the Will Smith. You're not going to see him on leaderboards for WRC+. You're not going to see him hitting 400 like some of these guys. But he looks good in a lot of facets of the game, and when he starts laying off some bad pitches – I really think he could be an above average catcher this year, which is huge yes. as a rookie. And R mentioned him as like his kind of dark horse rookie of the year. And he really is developing like that. And it's, he's a really exciting young catcher to watch. It's just exactly what they needed, right? Just like a solid catcher. Yeah, you know, we thought like that, that magic year from Max Stassi, like we we're like, oh, he's a good cat. Probably not. He's been banged up and stuff like that. But just having an everyday guy that can hit a little bit. That can defend and do all the things that Peter said. Uh, spoiler alert, like barring any last, last, last minute changes, just for context, like Logan Ohapi is a top 30 prospect in baseball. And that was before this start. I had him top 30 because this list has kind of been rough drafted for a few weeks now. Um, actually, more than that. So, like, I honestly want to push him up more if I could, but the, all the guys ahead of him are like elite upside guys. Yeah, but, but haters will being, say it doesn't count. Haters will say it doesn't count because it's a rough draft, and I'm a hater. It doesn't count. <laughs> Doesn't count. Doesn't he count. is he's at 26, <laughs> just so so people uh, hear that now and can check maybe and see if there's any changes in the coming days when we do drop the list. But to that point, like this is a guy that came out of nowhere last year and it was enough for me. Like I was sold enough on what we saw to to, to throw him up that high. And, and I think he's backing it up right now with what he's doing at the big league level already. Yeah, he looks Next comfortable. Month. 
He looks yes. comfortable and confident. That's all I got to say. Absolutely. And that's what I wanted to see. And he doesn't have a walk yet. And he's still contributing at basically every single other level. Um, next on the docket, Ryan Reynolds, man, he's earning that money. Big extension talks this offseason. Pirates offered him like seven nickels and a Coca-Cola can. And he was like, what do you mean? I rake. He's been in trade talks, what seems like for years now. And man, is this dude taking it personally. I don't know if it's sitting with him, but I assume he's using an extra motivation right now to put up a 297 WRC plus another guy with 0.6 war in five games, four bombs has been going off in this series against the Red Sox hitting 430. It's really cool to see a guy who gets quote unquote dissed by his team just because the value is so far off and then him like stick a fork in it and say I am that dude and he's proven it right now well here's the thing that is like so interesting about the Brian Reynolds pirate situation is that I actually think there was a fly on the wall during the negotiations because this has been more transparent a negotiating process than we've gotten in a really long time from anybody and we knew the years were agreed on seven and we knew the number in terms of total sum was agreed on and it was over a hundred million dollars but the hang-up we know is on the option brian reynolds wanted one after year three or four i'm forgetting which one it was i think it was three and the pirates didn't want an option whatsoever so here we are in like this weird middle ground where we know exactly the deal that brian reynolds said yes to without the option Yeah. And like there's like this holdout type thing going on. And every single homer or extra base hit that Brian Reynolds has makes his case stronger. Yeah. So it's so weird. And I feel like something's going to get done in the next couple of weeks just because everything's been laid out. So. So the, the fly on the wall, I think, is really, you know, Brian Reynolds's agent saying, and it's a rare instance because usually you have, you know, I wouldn't say it's bad faith negotiations because they don't really give a shit. But he requested a trade and they didn't grant it. Right. So I think the way that his agent feels is like, ah, I'll, I'll, I'll leak some of this stuff. Like I'll talk about some of this stuff. That's my guess. Cause obviously I don't think Charrington's coming out and saying anything could be something else. That said, I do appreciate Brian Reynolds still playing hard and, 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 you know, really just like putting his head down and playing like the NBA or the NFL. I know it's different because baseball contracts are guaranteed, but like NBA guys will sit down. NFL guys will sit out. Like in baseball, you don't really see requested trades. Uh, but for Brian Reynolds, like to just go out there instead of pitching a fit and, you know, giving low effort, which would probably in turn affect him anyways, he's just going out and performing and just saying, all right, the price just went up. Um, and I'm interested to see how long he can keep this rolling. But it's really cool to see because it's 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 also helped the Pirates get off to what I want to say is one of their better starts at four and two, one of the better starts. Is it five and two now after the, the Red Sox win or four and two after that, that final Red Sox win, regardless five and two got to be one of the best starts they've had in years. So four and two, four and two. two. Okay. Fangraph's already updated regardless. That's got to be one of their best starts in years. And you know, it's cool to see Brian Reynolds just say, all right, you don't want to pay me. Well, I'm going to keep making myself more expensive. You guys remember last year when the Reds started three and 22 and the Pirates got off to a really bad start too. It's so cool then seeing that reverse. And now both of those two teams are doing really well. The Brewers are doing well and like other teams in the central, not as much. The Cincinnati (laughs) Reds have already equaled their April win total from last year. It's incredible. Hopefully we didn't jinx that, but they start losing 20 in a row. (laughs) All right. Next on the docket. I got to shout out my guy, Glaber. 
And Glaber Torres, and the reason I'm shouting him out is because the hoopla around the Yankees. Got to play Oswald Peraza. Got to play DJ LeMahieu. Got to play Anthony Volpe, who's the odd man out. It's Glaber Torres. We know Aram. He was almost traded for Pablo Lopez at the deadline. He's been in trade talks constantly. You know, he's not getting an extension from the Yankees. Everybody else is getting paid except for Glaber Torres. And what is he doing? Sticking a fork in the Yankees, right? League leader in stolen bases, two home runs. His WRC plus is 238, and that was before he went three for four today. He's playing so well. And he has a smile on his face. And I'm just so happy to see him happy, right? Because I can't imagine the pressure in New York, hearing your name in the newspapers all the time is like, you're the odd man out. You're not important. We have all these young guys coming up. And he's saying, no, I want to stay here. I want to dominate. And it's just so fun to see. I will say like, and then this is a guy in a contract year, right? So he, he's, he's about to hit free agency. Uh, and what's interesting is all right. Does he have one more year after this one? I think he's got one more after this one. One more year. One more after this one. What's interesting is, you know, I think he's he's really taken these new rules and, and used them to his favor, right? We saw Dansby Swanson improve his defense, but also steal more bases, kind of like do everything he could to, to improve that case. We're looking at somebody that, you know, has never really been an efficient base dealer, was 10 for 15 last year, and he's five for five this year, or five for six now, because I think he got thrown out once. Uh, in the game as we're recording this, but he's obviously going to blow the the total out of the water from last year. And he could be a 2020 guy. So if he's a 2020 guy and playing decent defense and locking in more, like all of a sudden, not only do the Yankees benefit, but he's going to benefit financially. So it's cool to see him kind of like using the, the new rules to his favor. I think some players have leveraged that some have just kind of played the same way and just letting it kind of happen. Uh, but I, I'm interested to see how long he can ride this out because he had a great first half bad second half that was mostly by uh, you know a really bad month or so uh he's always been a little streaky so i want to see if he can you know kind of keep this rolling but the stolen bases are a fun little uh wrinkle that you know we never really saw before another hater that glaber and i have to overcome is arm late in 2020 yeah. how about 30 30 how about the next alfonso soriano no that's a little bit going too far but i'm just so impressed and it's just the smile on his face, like it makes me so happy as a Yankee fan to watch him like feel good because I've always really liked him as a player. I've always like liked his personality, felt so bad for him that he always played pretty well. Like he had that down season, but like overall, his Yankees tenure has been very he's good. never been a problem. No, he's like... never been a problem. And yeah, he struggled at shortstop, but like he found at home at second base. And now he's one of the better second basemen in baseball. And to this point, the best second baseman in baseball. I mean, he kind of suffers from a little bit of that Luis Arias syndrome where I think he's 30 and then he's 26. Like that guy has been a, a common name in baseball since 2015 or 16 when he was a Cubs prospect and he was traded for Raldis Chapman yeah. at the deadline. I mean, like Adley's age. Yeah, like he has been around the block for seven years and he's 26 years old. I mean, this guy even if he doesn't stay in New York and if they do want to commit to the Volpe Peraza middle infield tandem for the next, however many years, he's going to make a team really happy. And I hope that he is on a winning team because I think it's obvious when the Yankees elevate, so does Glaber Torres. I think the Glaber Torres is a really good Yankee in that way. I, I think that he shines best when the games matter. And I'm really curious to see what it looks like at the end of May going into the entirety of June and July when you get into those quote-unquote dog days 
seeing what Glaber's production is like, because Glaber is the type of guy that that shines brightest when the lights are on. Yeah. And um, Aram, I think, you know, you said it best and you really put this into perspective really well. Like if you are a Yankee fan, aren't you hoping Oswald Peraza turns into Glaber Torres, right? Like if that was the outcome for Oswald Peraza, wouldn't you be pretty damn happy, right? Yeah. Yeah, so 100%. Um, moving on to my next thing on the docket, and then I have one more that's just a hilarious stat that I want to run through because uh, we love wins. But a team that's kind of going under the rug, and I don't really know why, the Atlanta Braves are so fucking good, guys. Yeah, they, they are. are so good. Yeah, they are so damn good. I like even in games where it doesn't even seem like they have it all, like their lineup looks a little flat, maybe the pitcher doesn't give them a good outing, they just overcome and they just beat you with talent up and down the lineup and we're like oh you know the dh stuff there's some holes there what are they going to do at shortstop arcia looks great at short to start the year right you're getting so much value from travis darno like even rosario and i hate the guy but ozuna is playing pretty well and then at the top ronald cunha jr looks like the mvp matt olson is crushing baseballs Albies is back. Sean Murphy looks great. Austin Riley again looks like an MVP. Like up and down the lineup, they're so deep. And then in the pitching, Freed is on the IL. Kyle Wright's on the IL. And then they put in Jared Schuster, who struggles a little bit. Yeah, he lost the game. That's their one loss of the season. But then he settled in really nicely, and he's a young rookie on the road right? Dylan Dodd goes into St. Louis against the best team in baseball against lefties. And yeah, some of the advanced stats don't look good. He gave up a lot of hard contact, but you know what? Five innings, one run. Five innings, one run against that lineup. That's yep. incredibly impressive. The bullpen is unbelievable. Like they are, I think, the best team in baseball. Like the Rays haven't lost, but the Braves are going into St. Louis and sweeping them. Like you don't sweep St. Louis at home. It's almost impossible in that stadium and they did it and they just they're so good they're so they've good. got they've got Rizel Iglesias you know potentially coming back in a few weeks and, and other reinforcements uh everything you said was spot on Peter I'm gonna give one pushback because actually we get to make fun of him in this instance Ozuna actually stinks okay he's good. one he's one for 14 I think I saw the one hit and he, and he was hitting the ball hard it yeah, was a maybe home run. not. Yeah, it was a home run. It was a home run. But I, the only reason I'm correcting that is just because I'll take any opportunity to say that Ozuna stinks. And I love being wrong about him, too. <laughs> <laughs> but otherwise, I totally agree, dude. Like, this team is a force. Um, and, and remember, like, Von Grissom's coming up. Whether it's as the everyday shortstop or to share time with Arcia or whatever it may be, hell, if, if Ozuna keeps sucking – or does something else that you know make warrants him getting have kicked a turn off the team. Turn style at DH. Yeah, you you can have a bunch of different guys. You could have Grissom playing DH. You could probably try Grissom and left a little bit. Like you could he that could be your super utility guy as he continues to hit. Like they've got other guys coming up that are options. This team is only going to get stronger, in my opinion. Um, and, and Dodd and Schuster are only going to get better. Uh, and they're only going to return some of these other guys. It, it's it's going to be another really tough year to beat the Braves. I think starting the last one. Yeah. Oh, no, go ahead, Jack. If you have no, I, I was just going to say, I, I think the next turn through the starting rotation is going to be interesting. And I'm curious how they go about the role that Schuster filled, like whether it's Schuster again 
or right is healthy enough or a guy I know we're going to hit on with arm. Yeah. My last one is that the wins leaders actually it kind of changed now after today, but going into today, the only three guys with two wins were Julio Rios, Kyle Gibson and Trevor may. Garrett Cole now has two. Yeah, no, now Shane McClanahan does. But going into this podcast, because they just finished a recording in the afternoon, those were the three. And I just thought that list is hilarious. You I'm know like, what's so funny? Like, if we did, like, if we had Brandon, our amazing graphics guy here at Just Baseball, if we had him make a graphic for, like, the wins leader every yeah. week, I think we'd have to issue, like, a trigger warning. Like, trigger warning, here's the wins leaders through two weeks of the season. Like, people really have a visceral reaction. I think it's funny to see who is leading in wins. I'm always down for a wins check-in every couple weeks. Always down for a wins check-in. I'll bring the wins leaders every month and we'll just laugh. <laughs> Nikki, I'm in, for, I'm in for a walks allowed check-in as well. I yeah. love that. Like, the top guys in the walks leaderboard, too. It's like, hey, Dylan Cease can't throw a strike right now last year. But he was gross. And then he's up there with, you know, whoever the hell, like, you know, a Corbin type guy. Absolutely. Arms docket. My docket is pretty bizarre compared to your guys's, but I'll start with a positive that, you know, I thought was just nice to see. Hopefully he can stay healthy, but it's building off of the Braves point. Another guy that could be a reinforcement for them in some capacity, even if it's just as a swing man, Mike Soroka looked really good. I watched his, uh, his rehab start against a really good triple a lineup in the Norfolk tide. That's the triple a affiliates for the uh, Baltimore Orioles, which I think has several big leaguers on that team. Um, Obviously, Soroka's carved up legit big league lineups, but it's just good to see him getting out there. Fastball sat above 93 miles an hour. And for reference, like even in his good years where he was 100% healthy, he averaged like 92.6. So the fastball velo is all the way back. Uh, he, he got, I think it was nine swings and misses. Uh, the changeup looked good. The slider was his best pitch. Uh, so he looked like he was... Mike Soroka, which is really nice to see. Um, I just thought that was really, really like something that not a lot of people will be able to like see, especially data wise and wanted to let people know, especially Braves fans that, Hey, Mike Soroka looks pretty good. And hopefully that'll be one of the feel good stories this year in baseball. Speaking of feel good stories, Liam Hendricks finished his chemo today as we record, right? That is fucking awesome. That is is fucking awesome. That is Um, awesome. I saw that picture too, where he's like ringing the bell. Ringing the bell. And a lot of people are like, he beat it, and I was just like, that's the coolest picture of the season so far by a mile. I yeah. love that. Yeah. Yes. And I, you know damn well he's going to be back in that Sox bullpen in like a month. Like 97. Just yeah. grunting. Yeah. He's probably like on a flight to Charlotte right now. He's like, let's start. Let's start. I love that, man. That yeah. is so cool. And, and real quick, actually, one one other unfortunate uh someone who's dealing with cancer as well in, in professional baseball, which is just crazy. Uh, you also have Nick Enright of the Marlins, who's already back throwing and on the mend as well. He was a rule five pick by the Marlins. Uh, Enright's a talented arm. Another just surprising, just out of nowhere diagnosis right after he was selecting the rule five already throwing again. So that's great. So a lot of good news on, on that front from a couple of different guys going with going through crazy struggles. I can't even imagine. And, and Enright is going to be a late inning bullpen guy for the Marlins. Yes, he he's is. going to need to correct. A, he's going to need to hold or save a lot of one nothing games when Sandy goes eight shutout. So yeah, um, the yeah, way Ara was just like yes, was yes. hilarious. Yes. Um. What was, oh, uh, Soroka. Did they go like so? Soroka just made the first rehab appearance in Gwinnett. Kyle Wright makes one tonight. So yesterday, um. What do they do? 
when the rotation comes back around is Schuster. Is it Schuster again? Is it Kyle Wright on a limited pitch count? Is it Soroka on a very limited pitch count? I have to go right. I would, I would, yeah, you got to go right. Or you're saying after right? Or Wright's the right? wins leader. No, I mean, so fact. you've got facts. You've got four, right? You've no problem with four. Um, you've got Strider, you've got Morton, you've got Dodd, and you've got Elder that are up there. Freed's yeah. going to miss this turn through the rotation. So is it right after one rehab start? Or is it Schuster who's healthy? He just stunk in his day. I think Wright's going to make a couple rehab starts. It's been a while for him. He got so, put on the longer IL because of how long the, the recovery was taking. I I think you let Dodd keep going. But what's interesting is I think Soroka, if, if he looks like 70% of Mike Soroka, you put that guy back in the rotation and sure. see how it goes. And, and Dodd, you'll figure it out later. Because the reality is 70% of Mike Soroka's could probably be more, and, and Dodd look good overall, but 70% of Mike Soroka is going to be more consistent than what you're going to get from a rookie pitchability lefty. So I think the second Soroka looks ready, which might be two, three more starts, and if he continues to look the way he's looked, he went three and two-thirds last outing, he starts stretching him to four, five, six. With that bullpen, that's all you really need. And I have more confidence in Soroka getting me ground balls and giving me five, six strong than maybe Dodd every fifth day, even though I do like Dodd. Yeah. Quick shout out, Bryce Elder, six shutty against the Cardinals today. Looked fantastic too. Sinker baller, got a ton of ground balls. Awesome start. Cash the under for me. Thank you, Bryce Elder, because Miles Michaelis, what are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. That's all I, I think. I think Ohapi just one yard if i'm not mistaken or so i just see it i just i just see it i just see a text in our group chat from um from cam it just says oh hoppy is generational so i don't know what he did but revolutionary I'm sure something funny i'm sure it's something good um speaking of the cardinals that's my next topic and my next docket here interesting situation here with one of the most you know old school professional well-run organizations in baseball we've got a little drama in St. Louis, mm-hmm. we've got Ollie Marmol benching Tyler O'Neill for perceived lack of hustle on a throw home where he was rounding third. Of course, so Tyler O'Neill was on the base paths. I think he thought he could score pretty easily. It didn't look like he was totally dogging it to me. I think he had another gear and he didn't kick it into it. And he got thrown out by Acuna at home. He got pulled from the game. That's okay. Where I have the issue, and I think where Tyler O'Neill had the issue, is that Marmol basically said, we have a standard here, and if you don't meet it, you're going to get benched. And Tyler O'Neill just came out and said, I think it could have been handled, and this is all paraphrasing, I think it could have been handled you know, internally. I don't think it needed to be handled that way, and I'm disappointed that it was. I made it to the big leagues as a hustler and a grinder, and I don't want that taken away from me, which is pretty true the guy is a muscle hamster who just plays the game hard look i don't know whether he was going 100 or not to me it didn't look very egregious again you're okay to bench him but i think the fact that they are communicating with each other through the media is a very big red flag i'm not saying they're going to trade o'neill i'm not saying that there's you know the team's falling apart it is interesting that they did just get beat up by the braves that's not a way you want to start the season right here, uh, especially when Tyler O'Neill, when healthy, is one of your better players and one of the longest tenured guys on this roster uh, for the most part. Not great stuff. Yeah, I watched the video a couple of times and I'm with you. Like, it was not egregious one bit, man. Like, I, I watched it and he was 
it was a quick jog. Like it was somewhere between a jog and a sprint. It wasn't like what we see 40 times a game with guys like not booking it to first base whatsoever. You you can't look at Tyler O'Neill rounding third and tell me that he was dogging it when I can point you to 20 other examples in that specific ball game from Cardinal and Braves base runners. So I don't like that. Obviously, he had another gear that he didn't click into. I mean, that guy is like top 10% of Major League Baseball in terms of sprint speed. We did not see that for the first 60 feet after third base. That's what Ali Marmol had to say. Handle that internally. This language felt very similar to what we heard about Grayson when he was optioned to Norfolk at the beginning of this year. Why the hell are you saying this to the media? If you want the quickest way to lose a percentage of your clubhouse, you tell the media something like that. So Ali Marmol, guarantee you, while he has not lost the entire clubhouse, I'm sure he hasn't lost the veteran presence. He certainly lost Tyler O'Neill for a little bit. And I bet he lost most of Tyler O'Neill's best friends in that clubhouse, which is a percentage of guys that are on the field every day for you. And the manager losing a percentage of the clubhouse five games in is not a recipe for success at all. You made back-to-back banger points, and I want to address one of them where you were like, there were other egregious things within that Braves-Cardinals game. I watched that game, and one of the weirdest, dumbest plays I've ever seen where superstars are involved, it was a play involving Nolan Arenado, Paul Goldschmidt, and Ronald Acuna Jr. And Nolan Arenado goes to his left, throws it on the run to Paul Goldschmidt, who straight up just drops the ball at first base. Like, you never see... Paul Goldschmidt just dropped the ball and he immediately like throws the ball down. He's like pissed and like visibly upset with himself, which is okay at some point, but he doesn't notice that Ron Acuna Jr. Also didn't run it out completely and runs onto the field as if he was completely out. He wasn't even paying attention either. And then even Goldschmidt throws it back to the pitcher. And he's like, wait, Acuna's just falling in the middle of first base and second base pitcher throws it back to him and Acuna's tagged out and Acuna like grabs his chain and like runs back to the dugout. I'm like, what a bonehead move by yeah. like everyone involved. First of all, Nolan Arenado throw it all the way. Like he's dogging it. He just kind of flips it over. Goldschmidt drops it and like visibly is upset when the play is still going on. And then Acuna runs into the field to play when like you don't, you never know. So I agree. That was, like the second biggest blunder in one game of 162. So the way they handled it, I thought was just kind of stupid. Yeah. And, and it, yeah, so that, that's another example, right? Like it, it's just interesting how, um, I, and I think some players probably feel like it's a little selective there. Last thing I'll say, like Ali Marmol can handle this and say, Hey, look, I'm a second year, like not make the excuse, but like people know he's a second year manager, right? Like he, he can apologize and learn from it. Won't do it that way again. Um, but again, it seems like he hasn't because Tyler O'Neill wouldn't be publicly airing that out. He would have said, yeah, I didn't love how it was handled. Me and Ollie buried it. We're all good. That wasn't what was said. So to me, it looks like we're having a, a you know, an, an old fashioned standoff between two grown men. Um, and, and ultimately Marmol should be the one who apologizes. Yes. Also, I think that point from O'Neill is perfect that he made it as a hustle guy, Shouldn't a two-time gold glover and a hustle guy through the entirety of his career be given a little bit more grace from his manager? Exactly, too. This isn't Jordan Walker dogging it around third. No. Jordan, I'll yank him in five seconds, right? A rookie, I'm yanking that dude in five seconds. But the Tyler O'Neill, who's also coming off of injuries and stuff, like right. 
not again, if you can't play hundred percent, don't play. But like, again, this is a guy that has done it for a while, right? Like he definitely earns some, some latitude there. Yeah. I thought Brian Snicker basically just allowed kind of Acuna to do whatever he wants. Right. I thought what Acuna did was more egregious and we didn't hear shit. He wasn't benched or anything. He just put him at the leadoff spot and he went two for three, the next game or three for four, whatever he did. He was, it seemed like he had to hit every single at bat and we never heard anything of it. And that was a more egregious play to me. I thought, Tyler O'Neill like wasn't sure where the ball was. So he was like checking and kind of running. And then he's like, oh shit, I got a hustle. And then did and just got thrown out. Yeah. The thing is, like, so it was, it was a mental true. mistake, not, not too mental different mistake. than. Yeah. It wasn't that he me- wasn't hustling or just not caring. It was a mental mistake, which yeah. happens 162. Right. It's also like, that's Acuna too. Like Acuna is the king of dumb shit like that. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's why it was pretty ironic that Acuna was the guy throwing somebody out. That yeah. Was dog. Yeah. Know, yeah. That was kind of funny. Um, Last one for me, uh, any chance I can take to just dude, I, like Al Avila is impressively, I think the worst general manager, maybe of our, of our lifetime of our Tigers. generation. Shout out Detroit. Scott Harris. And this is something that organizationally top to bottom, um, you know, it, I, everything I've heard from guys in the minor leagues is that it's totally different now in a good way. Um, everything that you're, you're seeing report wise from the big leagues is it's different. You look at the roster even. It, it's different. You look at the way guys are performing. It seems different. But I want to highlight one move that Scott Harris made that I think is already better than any move Alavila made in his entire career as the general manager of the Detroit Tigers. And it was a pretty between-the-margins trade that already looks like – a. and we talked about it when it happened as a, one that should bode well for the Tigers. And early going, it looks pretty solid. Even if both these guys slow down, it still looks pretty solid. The fact that they turned Gregory Soto, maybe one of the number one like regression reliever candidates who was like closer by default for them, are able to turn that into Matt Veerling, who 26 years old was once relatively highly regarded and has shown flashes, hits the shit out of the ball and runs really fast, just hasn't been able to put it all together. And then Maton as well, who's been a, a fine kind of utility guy for them. Like I think Soto might legitimately be unusable in spots for them this year. Like I for for the Phillies and Matt Veerling's getting everyday reps. He's off to a great start, even if he's a fourth outfielder. I thought it was just an excellent move to see the writing on the wall with your reliever, who you got you know very fortunate year out of, and turn that into two pieces that'll probably be on their active roster for the next several years and play pretty good parts. I, again, that's the kind of move that good GMs make, right? Sell high on an asset buy low on two assets. And that's something that Alavila never did. Alavila played MLB, the show general manager and just threw money left and right, like 110 million to Jordan Zimmerman. Um, this oh, is I why I that. do what a horrible, horrible, one good year. Oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> one good year. Um, traded Ian Kinsler for nothing. Um, I, the only good move he made, I think was, was getting Alex Lange in one of those deals, but, or Alex Lange in one of those deals, but that's it. Um, I, I really think that this move is a microcosm of better days ahead with Scott Harris, who's going to mix and match and be able to put together a good team. I do believe in what Scott Harris is doing, whether Matt Veerling succeeds or not. Gregory Soto and Craig Kimbrell in the same bullpen is going to give so many Philadelphia, Pennsylvania natives heart attacks. Good luck, Philly. Good they luck. both have a 2070 RA so far. <laughs> yeah, the rest of your team is good, and you'll get back your pitchers like Ranger Suarez and Andrew Painter and all those guys, and Bailey Falter look good. Tywin Walker didn't look great, but it's fine. He'll be okay. But yeah. those two guys, 
Leeds ain't safe. That's all I'm going to say. Leeds ain't safe. Nope. And Tigers, just shout out the Tigers. Like they're they're two and four, but they're playing good ball right now. I think they're playing pretty good ball. Like again, they got bludgeoned by the Rays. And we talked about it. Jack and I talked about it. Is it more about the Rays staff being good or the Tigers offense being bad? Well, the Tigers go to Houston and hit and, and put up some pretty good games and, and we're pretty competitive. Torque looks good. Green looks good. Veerling looks good. A lot of their guys look good. I I just wanted to kind of highlight that and say Tigers are off to a decent start, even though the record may not indicate it after that, you know, getting bludgeoned by the race pitching staff. Saw a video that one of our new prospect writers, Trevor Huth, retweeted from West Michigan. Isaac Pacheco and Jace Young, younger brother of Josh Young, are both in West Michigan. And at media day uh, in high A, they were asked about the changes to the organization now that it is the Scott Harris era. And again, nothing but positive things from those two guys that are two of their best prospects. So guys are seeing the the difference in high A. You know, that says a lot. And that'll do it for this episode of the Just Baseball Show. Make sure to get your Just Baseball merch. It's the best way to support um, this show and all the other podcasts on the Just Baseball Network. You can find that link in our episode description. Jack's rocking his athletic tee. I'm rocking a Just Baseball shirt under the sweatshirt because it is terrible weather in New York City. But we also have other sweatshirts on the Just Baseball <laughs> merch store. And if you don't want to spend a dime, no worries at all. This is all free. All of our content is free. We just ask if you could rate and review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts five stars, as well as hit that subscribe button, hit that like button, and comment some of your takeaways from the opening week in baseball. Or if we said anything egregious that you completely disagree with, let us know in the comment section and we'll address it. More mailbags coming next week. We'll be back on Friday. And with that, thank you, everybody. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.